Hey everybody, it's Adam Shartoff. I just want to give a quick message before we start the show. Filmwax Radio just launched a Patreon account. You can find it by going to patreon.com slash filmwaxradio or just go to Patreon and search Filmwax. It'll come right up. Rewards start at $3 a month. You know, it's taken uh, 10 years for me to get this together. And I'm finally, if you're a regular listener of this show or you love to support independent film and shows like mine, which are an extension of that, please consider contributing. The amount of time and resources required to do a show like this, plus the YouTube show, is extensive, far more than you might might think. And so, like a lot of other people, I'm just sort of saying, if you want to show your love for the show, I would appreciate it. And there's all sorts of wonderful, wonderful rewards. Of course, additional content that nobody else is going to see or hear, and much, much more. If you just, again, visit patreon.com slash filmwaxradio and consider it. That's all I'm asking. Thank you very much. And now, on to the show. Wax Radio. It is Friday, July 16th, 2021. I'm outside. I don't know if you can hear the cicadas. They got here, finally. Thought they were coming earlier in the summer, but apparently sometime in July, early July, mid-July, they start showing up. Cicadas. Anyway, We have two really exceptional segments for you today. We have friend of the podcast, here for his fifth visit, documentary filmmaker extraordinaire Morgan Neville, back with Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. I saw it. It's exceptional. And then after that, we're going to have new friends of the show, I predict. Director Michael Sarnowski and producer Vanessa Block together, they created the story for A new narrative film called Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. We'll get to that in just a bit. Both films opening today, and both of these interviews also available on the FilmWax YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash filmwaxradio, and you can watch uh, both of these segments. But in this first segment here, we're going to talk to Morgan Neville. Morgan Neville, who I met many years ago when 20 Feet from Stardom came out, and and who who knew it was going to be such a big hit, but I got to talk to Morgan Right, right, right as that film was coming out, so nobody knew just how huge a film that was going to be. Uh, we brought him back with um, a number of other films since then, including most recently Won't You Be My Neighbor uh, back in 2018, and They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, those two documentaries which came out roughly at the same time. Well, he is back with this new documentary. It's called Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. It is a, a very, not surprisingly, a very watchable film, indeed. It's not where you go, it's what you leave behind. Chef, writer, adventurer, provocateur, Anthony Bourdain lived his life unabashedly. Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain, is an intimate, behind-the-scenes look at how an anonymous chef became a world-renowned cultural icon from Academy Award-winning filmmaker Morgan Neville. This unflinching look at Bourdain 
reverberates with his presence in his own voice and in the way he incredibly impacted the world around him. Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain, opens today. Here is my conversation with filmmaker Morgan Neville, back only on Film Wax Radio. It was almost never about food. It was about Tony learning how to be a better person. You're probably going to find out about it anyway. So here's a little preemptive truth-telling. There's no happy ending. One, two, three, four... Chef Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. The renowned chef and best-selling author of Kitchen Confidential. All the TV chefs are so cuddly and adorable, you know, maybe I'm the antidote or something. Has a new program, Parts Unknown. One minute I was standing next to a deep fryer, and the next I was watching the sunset over the Sahara. What am I doing here? I said earlier that I was going to tell you the truth. This is part of it. I'm I'm in the city right now. Oh, you're in New York. Yeah. Is it pouring? No, I guess not. no. You it is not pouring up here. I'm only about a hundred miles north, but there it is. Are you recording? Are you going to use video? Too, I am. At that, do you want to? Adju- no, I, that's I, fine. I always request it, but I know the publicists have thousands of. It's fine. Emails and you know trying to take care of so many things at the same time, but it's been this nice way of being able to double up on promoting. Uh, you know, so happy. Actually, I counted. This is like the fifth time we've spoken on this. That's thing. great. Let's yeah. keep it going. I appreciate the ongoing dialogue, you know. Me too. Anyway, so I was so, so glad to see the new documentary, Roadrunner, film about Anthony Bourdain, because it's somebody who, you know, has captured the, uh, the imagination of so many people, you know. You know, so there, it's, there's almost this dichotomy where there's this guy who, as I just said, you know, has captured the imagination of, of so many. And then at the same time, his inner life is still, you know, largely a mystery. I think you got a good amount on tape there for, for people. But how much do you feel like you got to know Bourdain in the process of making this one? Well, you know, I think Bourdain was one of the more complicated people I've ever made a film about. I mean, he was somebody... The person who actually he reminded me of the most was Orson Welles, uh, strangely, because I'd done a film about Orson Welles. But because the way people described Orson and the way they described Tony was that they would be slightly different in every exchange with every person. So they were always a slightly different person for everybody, even though his relationship with his different crews were all different. His relationship with his friends were all different. Like he was a little bit of a shapeshifter You're in that way yeah but also you know a great raconteur very smart very right. funny um and also kind of a self-saboteur in ways <laughs> you know kind of creating yeah boxes yeah. for himself that he can't escape from <laughs> in that way that... yeah go ahead i'm sorry no no so i you know i i there was no way to kind of to be like, oh, I got him. And in fact, what I kind of realized and what Tony kind of gave me permission to do in the film is to not figure it out per se. I mean, Tony's whole pursuit was about the embracing of gray and ambiguity in life. You know, that was something that he really got into in his shows. And it's really about questions. And I feel like so much of my work has become much more about questions and answers 
And so it's kind of just embracing that of kind of, here's a whole bunch of, you know, information and ideas about this person. And I do think it gives you a lot of understanding, but I think results may vary. You know, people can take away whatever they want from it in their own way. I think it's really on the viewer here to decide. Um, sure. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you talk to so many people from different parts of the life and that it's almost arbitrary, like the people that I know in my world that were so uh, caught up with him and taken up with, with him. So he says he does, he sort of presents something to different people. Oh, it's funny because the person I also started thinking him, uh, thinking about him in terms of oddly was, was Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Yeah, that because I'd done a so Johnny Cash a documentary. Project. Yeah, you yeah, you exactly. Um, but you know, Johnny was also you know the man in black who was very open about his flaws and his addictions, and who was loved by punk rockers and evangelicals. You know, young and old, red and blue. And there's some element of that that Tony had too. But I think a lot of it has to do with somebody who feels kind of vulnerable and flawed and who really wears that on the outside. In maybe, a way. maybe what it is, is it's somebody who has somewhere along the line, maybe through positive or negative painful journey, realize they're just an open, they're going to be an open, oh, open to anything that presents itself in their world. You know yeah. what I mean? That you can see it kind of the Johnny Cash, that last chapter recording some of the most, I don't know, unlikely or just, unpredictable material yeah. that he ever did in his entire career, you know, and all of a sudden now he's just, you know, this open book or something. And, and I think that can be a positive thing. It can also be negative. And one thing for sure that I get from, from your film is that, that Tony Bourdain, he does not want to be comfortable. He doesn't, he, he welcomes drama. And again, that's, it can be a very liberating thing, but it can also be really, really difficult and painful as you know, his life. Yeah, well, I think both those things are true. I think he was very open-minded, you know, that he was somebody, and it's not that often that you see public figures on television or in our politics or anywhere actually learning or being surprised when they go someplace, you know, people feel like they have an agenda. And Tony says in the film, and he said it many times, that nothing thrilled him more than to go someplace and have his expectations completely upturned. You know, and he went out of his way to do that. I mean, in the wake of the 2016 election, the first episode he did was West Virginia. He's like, I just want to go down and just meet these people and see what they're about. And it's one of his best episodes. Uh, it's you know, the it's, capital of the the uh, epidemic, right? Of of uh, opioids, opioid yeah. epidemic, rather. Yeah. Is that is that where you're getting at? Is that what, why you chose that area? Or well, I think in part that, but just you know, it's kind of a forgotten part of the country, and I think it was a place he just felt like I don't know what who these people are, so I want to go meet them and talk to them and you know break bread with them and all those okay. things, and like that kind of just open curiosity is so great. It's an interesting coincidence that it's also the center of a place of real trouble and addiction and. And I think, you know, again, he always was attracted to that, that idea of, you know, people who were struggling and, and, you know, going through um, issues. I mean, we have some footage of him in kind of a group therapy session for a uh, kind of a, 
uh, it was uh, for reform drug users, I think, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't AA, it was like an NA type meeting that Understood, they, right, he had right. filmed in um, um, kind of blue collar um, Massachusetts, you know, and, huh? and he wanted again to like know these people and kind of why, you know, how does a, you know, blue collar, you know, mom, become an opioid addict you know right and those stories yeah i mean that again you know is both dramatic and cinematic in a way and but i you know it's it's it gets again back to that point of like it's real and it's great but it's also um painful and for tony he couldn't just be a voyeur in that way. I mean, this becomes to me kind of the central kind of conflict of Tony's life, which is he couldn't just observe these things and document them. There's always some element of him that he left behind and it becomes, if you're going to put kind of a film metaphor on it, you know, is he Willard or is he Kurtz in Apocalypse Now? Is he the kind of rational journalistic observer um, or is he the person who's kind of lost their mind and who's the antagonist of the story or the protagonist? Well, the heart of darkness uh, uh, analogy is good because the further he goes on the journey, you know, the darker he gets, right. The dirt darker or more perilous perhaps. Yeah. And, and, and you can see both those characters, both in the book and in the movie as being two sides of the human psyche. Yeah. You know, they're both, it's the same person in a way, two sides of the same mind. Um, and Tony was always navigating that, you know, am I kind of the, the person who's transcribing what's happening or am I actually living what's happening? So as the documentary explores, he starts off, he's a, a cook in some nondescript New York city restaurant. Right. And he decides because he feels he is actually more of a writer than a cook, even in, in his heart that he's going to write this expose called Kitchen Confidential, it so happens, right? A name suggested to him by, I think, his agent, book agent, publishing agent, or... Well, he actually had the title. Oh, okay. Right, he brought it, and they they just said, yeah, that's it, we have the concept. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sorry. So, so... And um, and there begins the that's sort of the 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 uh, thing that that sort of starts the momentum. And I wonder if during those uh, ensuing years, uh, eighteen years, uh, I was wondering if food mattered less and less. Right? It, it like it all became about the exploration and his desire to to find the humanity and the connection with the places he went with yeah. the people he met. A hundred percent. I mean, I think. Tony, of course, I mean, what's interesting about Tony is that he was trained, he went to the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, he was trained in French style cooking and, you know, worked in kind of classical French style, European style kitchens, and understood all the technique. And, you know, was good friends with somebody like Eric Repair, who's, you know, one of the kind of the, you know, primary examples of that type of, you know, Michelin star, fine dining uh, cuisine. However, he became the champion of street food. You know, like we've seen this revolution in how we think about food over the last 20 years. And I think Tony was one of the main, you know, um, spreaders of this idea that, you know, the 
the love and craft and history in something you might get on a cart and a street in India is just as valuable as what you might get on a plate at a fine restaurant in Paris, yeah. you know? And I think that is absolutely been changing and continues to change how we perceive food and kind of the stories that come for food. And that was something Tony was way ahead on. And so I think yeah. he was the one who started seeing very early on that, yeah, this food, there are stories in this food, you know, and let's tell those stories, the stories he would find out in the streets um, and, you know, in the beginning, he also, I mean, his first show was on the food network. So, you know, would literally he, the, the producers said, you know, we had to have food in every single scene, you know, they wouldn't let us do a scene that didn't oh. have food in it. And then that no reservations was on the travel channel. They, they had to have food in about half the scenes. And then when it got to CNN, they're like, you know, whenever you want food, that's fine. You know, but well, it's a good we don't it, care. It, right. Well, it makes sense. Food is a, one of the very few perfect vehicles because it does have that high, low art or, you know, it, I, I think it's your absolutely. There's a few things maybe that fall under that where maybe alcohol or something like that, where, yeah. you know, uh, which has a high and low kind of culture to it. Well, you know? the, other, the other thing I think about food is, you know, food is culture. Yeah. You know, we tend to think of culture as being things like art and film and music um but really food is the most elemental you know food and clothing you know is is also culture but it's how we define ourselves and our own histories and how we define and perceive other people um and so in that way it really is like this perfect window into telling any kind of story you want i mean he often talked about it as being kind of a trojan horse to tell these other stories, you know, food was the way to get into it. That's the perfect expression. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the name of the documentary, uh, and I understand you directed it, it's called Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. It's uh, in theaters, July 16th, in theaters, music to our ears. You and me both. I have one last question because esoteric maybe that it is. I don't know. I'm just wondering I mentioned we've spoken a bunch of times, but, you know, you always seem so solid and reliable. You know, you have this positive attitude, a smile on your face, <laughs> such a nice guy. But I'm wondering, do these films get inside of you to a degree where they change you? I, you know, I know that's sort of a pithy maybe question, but I'm just, I just wonder, do they? Uh, yeah, there's no way they can. I don't know. You know, um, and I feel like, you know, often... Um, when I would start a documentary, I remember having this conversation a few times with somebody I was working on a film with a subject. And I would say to them, you know, that this, this project is going to be like therapy for you, you know, that there's, because you're really asking people about the most important things in their lives and trying to get them to think about them and process them. Um, It took me years to realize, of course, films are therapy for me too, you know, and that there's always part of some issue I want to work out in what I'm, what I'm making, you know, and, and this film, this film had a real kind of emotional tale to it, you know, and part of it is, you know, I was like the group therapist making this film. Yeah. And I came into a world of people full of grief and I had it was, to be, mentioned it was very, you, know, it wasn't, you started this not long after, I mean, people were, were still, breathing his their loss right i mean i mean i started shooting about a year and a half after he died which is not 
particularly long after. And we shot for an entire year. So those interviews went on. But the fact of the matter is it's going to be years, years and years from now still before people really work through their feelings. But it was very raw at the beginning. And those interviews were really hard emotionally. But it it also is just not the interviews. I feel like it's the relationships I built with the people before I interviewed them and still to this day in the conversations I have them, you know, which I, as tough as it is, I actually really love that part of it. You know, like I'm thankful for it when somebody is totally open and vulnerable, you know, and they're asking me to be vulnerable back. Like that's, you know, that's my job. So, um, but I do remember being really, um, happy when I was done shooting interviews, I was like, okay, I, (laughs) Because each one took a toll, you know, and it's just a lot to think about the process, again, loss and our own feelings of grief and shame and anger and all these kinds of ideas that kept coming up. Yeah, we're, we're winding down, but you, you, uh, you talked about getting people to be vulnerable in moments and my memory flashed back to 20 feet from stardom. And the cameras trained on Mick Jagger, who we've seen thousands of hours of documentaries and interview footage, right, of this guy who's, there's no way you, he can't just be Pat. But you played, I think you isolated his backup sing, singer's track. And I just remember seeing him, his mind being blown, like, you know, you, you got to, you were able to do that. And he actually, I think, was he in, kind of brought to tears? Is it my imagine? Is it just my my memory? I, I think he smiles more than he's brought to tears. I thought he, like okay, in my mind, he's he just he, yeah, he's he's because he. I think he heard the song for the first time again. You know, it's like uh, uh, because of that. You know, and uh, yeah, it's worth seeing uh, as well. But um, anyway, well, I'll do something lighter next time. Okay, <laughs> no, no, don't, <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I mean, you know, you can find something deep in any and and. Um, meaningful and depth in any in any subject just about you know if that's you know what you, you're looking for you know in mr rogers anywhere you know thank you and absolutely well great talking to you again same same here <laughs> all right okay okay enjoy the rain i am from my view <laughs> up here in the north north country i think it's heading our way i heard it's it, gonna rain oh, later yeah, okay yeah, yeah. it's it, it's it's gonna be heavy duty but it'll be it'll be good all right. Sounds man. great. Okay. Good, good talking uh, to you. Same here. Yeah. I always nice to see you. It's always nice you too. All right. Okay. Bye now. It was almost never about food. It was about Tony learning how to be a better person. When he threw himself into something, he threw himself completely. Why am I here? Am I insane? He was like, life's about finding a cliff worth jumping off. I'm going to look for something feral and wild. He was a traditional romantic. Reality was never going to live up to exactly how he pictured it. Hey, what's up, man? He was always rushing to get into the scene. He was rushing to get out of the scene. To go somewhere next, even if he had nowhere to go. He was definitely searching for something. You were successful, and I am successful. And I'm wondering, are you happy? I know how hard it must have been for him to reach out to someone and be like, hey, man, I'm not doing well. Nothing feels better than going home. And nothing feels better than leaving home. The bittersweet curse. Travel isn't always pretty. 
You go away. You learn. You get scarred, marked, changed in the process. You inspire so many people with the show. You have a good karma. Good karma? I think so. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Some of you might ask, how is this food related? If I know. You know, I like a crazy performance by Nicolas Cage as much as the next person. You know, that's what at first initially attracted me to seeing Pig. And then I ended up really, really, really enjoying it and thought this was a well-made film. And it, it kind of hit all the, the right notes, you know. And so it's Nicolas Cage plays this truffle hunter forager a truffle hunter who lives in the oregonian forest you know a uh, uh, kind of self-exiled if you will for many many years and you don't know what the deal is with this guy but his beloved truffle hunting pig his assistant if you will gets kidnapped or as i say pignapped and it's about cage's necessary re-emergence into to civilization in order to get his pig back, and you find out what an amazing story this guy has and what led him into shucking away all of uh, normal life's for a uh, isolated existence in the woods. And, 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 and it's it's terrific film. And we have on the team behind this film, they both came up with a story, Vanessa Block and Michael Sarnowski. Michael wrote and directed the film, and... Uh, Vanessa produced it. Stars Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolf, and Adam Arkin. And uh, it opens today, Friday, July 16th, in theaters. And uh, it is distributed by Neon, which is one of our favorite distributors. They, they choose such great films. So uh, I'm very happy to introduce to you, for the first time on the show, Michael Sarnowski and Vanessa Block, here on Film Wax Radio. for a truffle pig. Someone stole her. I don't understand. Tell me you are. I should go ahead and do it. That's uh, All right. just basic, basic uh, logic there. Basic filmmaking, yes. actually. When the opportunity arises, you got to jump. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a 10-minute, a 5-minute, and a 2-minute warning. Um, and uh, whenever you're ready, we okay. can get started. All oh, right, I'll look in the chat. So tiny, I can't tell what that is. Oh, it's just a seltzer. It's just seltzer. Oh, okay. Uh, there's no, no, no. older Jewish man of you, which I say is a Jewish woman, so I can get away with that. Of course, I wouldn't be offended no matter what you said, sweetheart. You're beautiful. <laughs> you're beautiful. But you don't write. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, tell me, because you both came up, what does it mean, uh, Michael and, and Vanessa, you, you share story credit. So how does that work? You both sat down and said, you, well, I have a great idea for a movie. And I have a great idea. At the exact same time. That's- no, it's, it's much more, I think, kind of our, our um, shaping of the story, development of the story, like the initial idea, which Michael can get into, took on a few different forms over the course of the making of, of the film in the early stages. So, Michael, do you want to kind of delve into the impetus? Yeah, yeah my, my sort of go-to no. story of, of the, uh, the, the core idea was initially, you know, there was something very fascinating about that image of this old man in the woods with his truffle pig. And I was kind of peripherally aware of truffles and all that stuff. Yes. Uh, and, and as I explored that more, I became more intrigued by it and intrigued by the, the fact that like we all have kind of a vague association with the value of truffles and we kind of know about them, but it leaves a lot of room for exploration and creative freedom. Yes. So that excited me as a way of kind of exploring this world. Uh, and then that kind of merged with just some thematic stuff from my own life of exploring grief. And um, I, my, my dad passed away when I was a kid. And as I was getting into my 20s, I was you know, kind of seeing what that loss had done to my family in, in the long term and how they had kind of adjusted their worldview and how they interact with the world based on that, not just the immediate aftermath of, of a loss, but sort of how it bakes into your world. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to explore that through these characters as well. And somehow those two two ideas kind of merged together. And then Vanessa and I, you know, we, we kind of talk about that and go through drafts and um, and and hone it until it gets to the point where someone says, we will give you money to make this. Interestingly, I think the script, ultimately the simplest form of the script was the one that we really felt unlocked its fullest potential, um, which is sort of became a theme, I think, for our general approach to the filmmaking of this of this movie. There's something that feels very elemental and hopefully very um, essential to people about the cinematography. It's very stripped down, um, very much this character journey. So identifying that in the early phases of writing, I think was critical for setting a certain tone for the things that happen downstream. Hmm. I was going to say, and then Michael got the writing credit because maybe he's the one who had the license for final draft, but. Um... <laughs> writer duet. I use the free stuff. I love writer duet. <laughs> I is a free one too, actually. Um, <laughs> I, you know, but I should plug it because then they. Which one some... do you use? Do you, do you like it? Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it seems to be a comedy show. What are you doing? You're in the wrong field. It's called Highland. Highland? I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's it's exactly as... I mean, I assume that they're all pretty much designed the same thing, but now you can... You should, after the great, huge success that will be Pig, you will be able to get, actually afford Final Draft if you so choose. I anyway, like we Writer can, Duet. Because I, I have a cheap little Chromebook. That's what I write on. Okay. Uh, I've had it for like six years and it's, I think it was cost me 120 bucks and I, I can, it's the only thing that actually really works on a Chromebook. So I like it. It's, it's, it's online. So you can do it wherever. And I don't know, I'm, I'm a sucker for writer duet. Um, well, by now they should think of, consider sponsoring this episode of my podcast. I know that's I what know. I'm getting at here. I writer appreciate duet, it. Thank you're you. Listening. Uh, the name of this movie is Pig. It's it. I mean, obviously, I was interested just based on the title. I, I grabbed my attention. It's a great title for. And as you mentioned, it's a, about a truffle pig owned by a guy who is uh, self-exiled, mm-hmm. cut off from civilization as best as one can do that. In fact, when you start watching it, you might not even know that it takes place in contemporary time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, was yeah. that intentional? By the way, I, I mean. 
I, I yeah, just, we always I, that's that was my I said is it this is probably a period piece or something because the look of even Nicolas Cage who happens to star in the movie right he's living definitely like a man sort of lost to time that's for sure absolutely right yeah we always wanted that that forest world and, and really all the you know we've talked about this movie as kind of it has a fably vibe to it and we always wanted all those different little microcosms to have a very distinct feel and we really wanted that forest world to feel like something else to feel like kind of a different a different time a different place um and so yeah that we definitely until that kind of camaro drives up there is this question of like is this in the 1800s yeah. what am i seeing yeah no absolutely the case and i i have a question it, you you said you were very specific. You wanted a specific feel from those scenes that take place in the forest. And I'm wondering, was it always supposed to take place in Oregon? Because is that a yes. particular thing? Are you guys either from from there or what was? Not, what? No, I'm from Northern California, and Michael's from. Okay, this not that far though. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, but I should speak to also just the the forest in Oregon. There is this intense primordial quality to them where they it really they do exist outside of time when you guys i don't know have you spent much time in the pacific northwest not enough oh yeah, where are you right now I, we should probably ask i'm in the oh sure we should always share that nowadays uh i'm in the hudson valley so i'm lived in new york city almost my entire adult life nice but i moved out of there not that not that long ago so <laughs> and, uh, but I'm, I'm a couple of hours north of the city yeah Okay. Yeah. Which is, and you guys are, are, where are you both? LA. Yeah, based okay. in LA. But yeah, I'm, okay. I'm from Wisconsin originally, which oh, okay. I, I, had, I had never actually been to Portland until, really until pretty much the draft that we were sending out to producers was done. And then, and then I went up to visit some friends in Portland and then we started doing these, some location scouts up there. Vanessa and I sort of early on, even before we got financing started Right. visiting places and then kind of tweaking the script to really write specific spots in. I, yeah. I'd kind of written some specific spots in just based off of research. Um, but, but I think in my mind, Portland, I mean, there were a few reasons to choose Portland. It's Oregon's one of the few places in America where truffles actually do can be found in the wild and where there's an economy around it and where there's a real food scene. So it just kind of made sense. Wow. And, yeah. and then the more I researched the city, the more it was like, okay, there's a real kind of history here. And there is this sense of like, an old underground to this city and and it's not the portland that we all kind of imagine as this hip artsy place i mean there is that element of it um, but there's also kind of a darker history to it and and i think we've seen yeah. that politically speaking in, in recent uh years uh which isn't really something we dive into too much in the film but it's kind of felt there in that place there's there's more to portland than meets the eye um it's also just for me a visually compelling place. And in all of our trips that we took up there prior to the beginning of production, we, we really took the time to kind of embed with the locals there, the mm -hmm. restaurant scene, the culinary world. We met with a lot of chefs. We ended up, um, all of the dishes that you see cooked in the film were based on actual recipes that uh, Portland-based chefs created. Um, nice. They were all consultants on the film. So you know, wow. it was important to ground this, you know, slightly magical feeling, elements of absurdity film in something that was very uh, realistic and felt very naturalistic. And so Portland becomes this amazing playground in a way to do both the high and the low, the kind of magical and the quotidian. It's just this amazing amalgamation of all of these things. So it, it's kind of the perfect and production value as producer on the film. I have to speak to that. It's yeah, you're a producer. I am. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful place. You get so much bang for your buck. Um, mm. And 
the film is this journey through worlds. And so to be able to find a place where we could experience such a vast array of looks and textures on a budget was incredible. Well, you know, just to fill in a little bit more of the synopsis for viewers, uh, the uh, Nicolas Cage, who is, again, this hermit, he turns out to be a, like a world-class chef, right? I mean, because his pig is pignapped. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's what we, that was always sort of our go-to name for that scene was the was pignapping it? scene. Yeah, so, it's yeah. great. Yeah. That was how uh, we referred to uh, it. You know, he's drawn out the story uh, with, with, of course, with this, uh, he, he has sort of uh, gains a sidekick uh, in uh, Alex Wolf's character, but he, they, 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 he draws him out of the woods for the first time in what seems like a long time. And then it's a beautiful kind of un, un peeling of the onion uh, of figuring out this guy's history you know and then it's also an adventure movie as well because of course he's uh loves his pig it's a love story <laughs> just beautiful it's love a story. lot of things it is it explores bestiality i mean that's really what no the- it does not he doesn't fuck his pig he says that specifically he's very no. clear about that it was are we allowed to say that word i don't i don't know if i was allowed to oh, say that. a little bit. truffle which word um, he doesn't truffle his pig not once <laughs> yeah absolutely can say pig fuck it's it's the first time it's been said on the show so um how uh, did you guys have an opportunity i guess we're winding down in a few minutes but did you guys have an opportunity to do a festivals in a proper manner during this or was it kind of more of a no we we actually we sort of missed the mark, and then COVID happened, which just threw you know a wrench into all the plans. We actually had this very fortuitous thing happen though, where we finished the edit of the film on like the Friday before the lockdown in LA was. I keep announced. hearing that story. So, Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true. It was it was crazy. It was literally within days that the announcement was made, and then we moved into our final phase of post with color and ADR and and music, which was had its own complications when you're trying to do ADR remotely via zoom it's a nightmare oh yeah right but um no so we just the way that the timing worked we didn't have the opportunity to do that but it sort of feels like i mean neon is our distributor it doesn't get much better than that yeah well that's what i was getting at vanessa i'm like how lucky well let me take the word luck out of it because if you make a good movie then it's not lucky but you could say there's so, so many films that are vying for a distributor like neon Mm-hmm. right so props to neon but but uh, uh uh how how did how did that happen because i mean just they saw what a great trajectory the film gets for that you it's, know it's a perfect place for this film to land i mean neon is I, I can't say enough positive things about them and the way that they've handled this film in terms of the release i mean watching what they did with parasite i knew we were in excellent hands because that's a very difficult to market film it's never heard of it that, I mean, it, it explores, so, I mean, to its credit, it's amazing, but like, it's how do, the hell do you even approach something like that? And they did it beautifully and gracefully and thoughtfully. And um, Neon, the team at Neon did the same with Pig. They just managed to really understand what the story we were trying to tell. Um, right. I think again, when you lead with that authenticity, the public response, people can feel it. You know, you can't manufacture that. It's just- And there's, there's always going to be an element of luck. I mean, you know, we worked our asses off, we, you know, we had a script that people were responding to, but you know, at the end of the day, you can have a great script and you might not end up getting Nick Cage and Neon. So, yeah, I mean, right. there was a lot of just it, you know, we got, we got really lucky and people, enough people responded strongly to it. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how we made it happen, but it, it, it happened and, and I'm so thankful for it. Um, 
feeling the difference in our philosophical approaches right now. <laughs> well, I also feel like, and this maybe had a piece of a part uh, in part uh, to do with neon, but but that you know I think Cage is is uh, in this really great phase of his career in the last maybe since Joe or right before that you know and some of the crazy stuff he's done has still been so watchable and so you know it's so so I think you 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 got Nicholas Cage at the right time and he's he appears to be quite bankable so yeah well used oh, he's very well he's used incredible and he did a great job with this yeah a lot of weird timing stuff where like in its own weird way it, it kind of the fact that this movie's coming out after covid sort of hit something i mean it's this guy coming out of isolation reintegrating into society so there were a lot of like weird things that just kind of lined up that were okay you but can't I, plan for i gotta ask though before we end this and uh, by the way we'll we'll say pig starring nicholas cage uh, alex wolf and adam markin who is uh amazing amazing Me. uh all, anybody arc named arkin is amazing apparently but uh, it's opening July 16th in theaters, which is a lovely thing to say, right? But I would need to get, otherwise I would be making an egregious error, but I, I would need to ask you for some sort of Nicolas Cage anecdote, right? I got to ask. Uh, there's got to be something that came up. Oh, I have one. Uh, he was bitten by Brandy the pig more than once. Brandy, like pig. Before or after Nicolas Cage bit the pig. Um, it was same time, exact same moment. It's a mutual biting moment. But it wasn't biting. It was no. It just he, Brandy, our pig. We didn't. She was adorable and beautiful and uh, aesthetically perfect. But she wasn't a movie pig. We couldn't afford a movie pig. So Michael and Another I was trained pig. Who's not a trained. We just found her at a farm. We're on a tour okay. of pig farms in Portland. You know, again, this is like no money. This is the sort of shit that you do. Mm -hmm. um, and people were very welcoming and kind. And they were like, sure, you can check out our pig farm. And so we looked at all these pigs and this one particular pig, Brandy, sort of stole our hearts, but she was totally untrained. And so we had to kind of, you know, try to get some kind of training in order before the shoot, but she bit him more than once. And they I have anywhere in particular we should know, we should know that or it was just on it was on his finger and i still remember i'm not gonna even try to do a nick cage impression but he said uh he was like it's like i've i've flipped cars in movies i've been on fire and it's gonna be sepsis from a pig bite that that does me in <laughs> yeah. good but one. he was a trooper about it i don't i mean i i probably would have just been like nope that's it but uh he he was great with it okay that'll do that was a good one Wait, was that a babe reference that you just made when you said that'll do? That'll do. Was it? Take credit yes. for it. Take credit for I, it. Uh, I mean, I felt like it was apropos. That'll do, guys. That'll lean do. Lean into it. Did, lean into it. Yeah. Okay. Does that James, uh, uh, what's his last name? The actor got the Oscar for that, right? He got, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Um, wow, what is this? Yeah. Terrible. 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 More important names are Michael Sarnowski, who is the director and stores co, co and writer right of a pig Vanessa Block is the Shane Amadel over here <laughs> that's a very limited Yiddish but that's that's, that's very kind of you co-wrote uh, or created co-creator of the story producer it's uh opening July 16th distributed by Neon uh, we'll play a we'll play the trailer leading into this 
Anything else I should know, or did I miss anything, uh, any kind of mistake, any kind of... You did a great job. I, I mean, there's tons more to know, but... but They should just get around to watching the movie, because... Yeah, they'll watch it, and then we'll, we'll follow up. Yeah. <laughs> You're someone we'd love to get a drink with, Adam. Oh, wow. What that's your what... seltzer. Have you... I would love to do that. Yeah, I was, and I was just in LA um, on twice in the last, I mean, through nothing to do with film, but I was in LA twice in the last month or so. Too bad. You missed each other. The timing's a little bit bad, but you'll probably, are you coming through New York City? It's nice to be traveling again. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, Is, are you, are you coming through New York City with the film? Are you able to just... We're premiering it in New York tomorrow, but we're actually going to be up in Portland uh, because that's pretty much the entire crew was Portland based. So we're going up there for like the Portland crew screening. Uh, So we're going to miss the New York premiere screening, but I don't know. I'm hoping that we'll find some excuses to get sent around to to see it with other people. Right. Right. All right. Thank Uh, you so much, Adam. My pleasure. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. It was great to meet you. Same here. Really nice to meet you both. Bye guys. Bye. You made the right choice being out there in the woods there's nothing here for you anymore there's really nothing here for most of us buy yourself a new pig what are you thinking i remember every meal i ever cooked i remember every person i ever served You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Who has my pig? Thanks, everybody. Please consider subscribing to the Patreon account. It's uh, patreon.com slash filmwaxradio. For as little as $3 a month, you can support what I do here between the YouTube channel and the uh, audio podcast. And, you know, I do a lot of work. It may seem somewhat effortless. uh, I don't know. But it actually uses an enormous amount of my time and resources to put together a show of the scale that I do. And uh, so just even giving as little as $3 a month can make such an enormous, enormous difference. And then you get exclusive stuff that nobody else is going to get, and you get thanked on my show. Anyway, the name of the show is uh, Film Wax Radio. I'm your host, Adam Shartoff. We'll be back next week with a brand-new episode. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and the ones you love.
Oh uh-huh. 